Hi everyone, my name is Renee Huang. I'm the founder of Wild Women Tribe and the host of the Ignite podcast. We've been Zooming in the past couple weeks with community collaborators and coaches who've partnered with us before and just talking about topics that really matter to us right now. Um, it's ranged from talking about um, how to be positive, to employing breathwork techniques. We've had an art therapy session. And today we're joined by ski legend and my dear friend, Kristen Ulmer. Hey, Kristen. Hey. Kristen's in Mexico right now. So if there are technical issues, we're gonna allow her that, that wild card of hopping back in. Hopefully it won't happen again. Yeah, it's been fine all winter, but we just are having glitches today. Hi. Hi. So today we're going to be talking about a topic that's near and dear to your heart, fear. Um, Kristen has written a book on fear. She's been on the Megyn Kelly show. Uh, you coach, uh, you do ski camps that revolve around fear. And I'm really excited just to hear um, you talk and share some wisdom about how we can be using that quote-unquote negative emotion in a more positive um, sense right now, how we can feel empowered by something that we're scared to feel most of the time. Uh, the format will be um, an hour roughly of discussion. We'll start with a guided meditation that Kristen will lead us through, and then I'll ask her some questions and allow her to give us some of her background. And then we're really hoping that you as participants will be involved and um, ask questions and share your perspectives because the way that these work really well is by drawing everyone together in community and um, by sharing and holding space together. So I will turn this over to Kristen and Phoenix <laughs> and you can take it away in the meditation. Okay. Um I mean, maybe I should introduce myself just a little bit so you know why you should even bother listening to me. Uh, I have three points of reference to refer to you on how I became a fear and anxiety expert. Um, first of all, I was a world-class athlete. I was considered the best woman big mountain extreme skier in the world for 12 years. I risked my life on a daily basis. I was also called the most fearless woman athlete in North America by the outdoor industry in an industry-wide vote. I've also studied 15 years of a Zen approach to emotions, and I worked with tens of thousands of clients, uh, many of them very well-known influence in our world. Let's start by having a guided meditation. Now, I, I don't, this is not what I do. What I am is a facilitator. I love to facilitate a conversation between people and their own fear. And so this, uh, I'm actually really excited about this, uh, doing a guided meditation because um, this is after 33 years of real world practical experience, this is uh, my first guided meditation that I've led and um, taking all that I've learned in 33 years, leading to this moment actually. So I want everybody to close their eyes. And it begins with mindful practice, mindfulness, which is very popular. But this is more of a noticing practice, um, more than a mindful practice. But we're going to start with that. So what does it mean to have a mindfulness practice? Well, it usually means above the head. You know, you have your head. So I want you to just notice your head. 
And within your head, you have a brain, which is different. And then within that brain, you have different parts of your brain. And then in that, you also have your mind. Like, what's the difference between your brain and your mind? And contemplate that. A lot of this is going to be about asking questions and just noticing awareness. You also have thoughts. And then you also have individual thoughts. I want you to notice all of this. And I also want you to notice who is the you that's noticing this. Because we tend to think that our minds or our thoughts are who we are. But it's actually not true. That's not who we are. So whoever we are, just notice right now your individual thoughts. And I believe when people say that, oh, I want to have a mindful practice or mindfulness practice, it's observing your mind and observing your thoughts, specifically individual thoughts. I want to notice right now, and you all notice as well, what you're thinking about. What's going on up there above the neck? Do you have positive thoughts right now? Do you have negative thoughts? Do you have fearful thoughts? Have you been having fearful thoughts? Has fear showed up actually in your mind in the form of thoughts? And then the last question, I just want you to contemplate, what are your judgments of negativity? What are your judgments of positivity? And what are your judgments of fear? And our minds are so dualistic that in order to take a lot of data in and to make sense of it, it's a very judgmental mind. We call it dualism, good, bad, right, wrong. Do we see positive thoughts as being good and negative thoughts as being bad? Notice if you see fearful thoughts as being bad. So then taking it out of the above the neck mindfulness practice, still being the you that is having this notice, this observation, know that you are not your mind, you are not your thoughts. So then what are you? Who is actually having this experiencing that's witnessing what's going on above the neck? I like to see it as mindlessness or mind emptiness. So while I'm a big fan of mindfulness, a lot of people use mindfulness as a way to kind of get rid of negativity or calm down anxiety. Really though, it's more about just noticing. So the part of you that's just noticing, that's mindless, that's mind empty, that's more just about awareness itself. You are not your thoughts. You are not your judgments. You're not your brain, not your head. That part of you, I now want you to send it in the opposite direction. Below the neck, into your body. Notice what is your relationship with the body? Can you become aware? Because right now you are all about awareness. 
of your senses, smell, touch, feeling the floor under your feet, maybe the chair. Can you also sense emotions? Can you notice where your joy is in your body? Can you notice if you're feeling sexual or sexual feelings? And where are they located? Sexuality is actually seen as an emotion. And can you find your fear? Notice where it is in your body. When I feel fear, it's usually in my throat and in my chest, my shoulders. For others, it's in their lower back or their belly. Don't get too caught up on the word fear, just any kind of emotional discomfort. Can you just notice that now? Do you have physical discomfort? Maybe an old broken leg that hasn't healed or neck pain. Notice if there's an emotional component to it. And then taking it back to the judgments that come from your mind, because there is a mind-body connection, is there a judgment of your fear or your sexuality or your joy? And oftentimes the judgment is joy good, fear bad. Sexuality for some people, good. Sexuality for some people, bad. Notice the connection between what's going on above the neck, the mind, and the judgments that's happening of what's going on physically in the body. Taking it back to fear, fear starts off proven by science as an emotion that we feel within our bodies. It's supposed to compel us to fight or flight action. You've noticed your judgments of it, and based on that judgments, those judgments, what is your reaction to that fear? Do you typically ignore it? If so, ask yourself, how do you do that? Do you make yourself so busy you don't have to deal with it? Do you fight it, try to conquer and overcome it? Do you try to control it? by using your mind like a sword? Do you try to rationalize it away? Are you considerate of it? Do you listen to it? Is it your friend or is it your enemy? What is your relationship with this huge, normal and natural part of life that is with us from start till finish, that's elevated right now during these scary times. This is a noticing meditation. And the noticing is the most important part. Because once you start to get to know your relationship with fear, which comes from the judgments of the mind and our reactions, to that unpleasant sensation in our bodies. Only then can you start to create a different, more healthy relationship with fear, maybe than the one you're having 
So bring it back to the you that's noticing. You've now gone below the neck into the body. You've been above the neck into the head. And just sit as you. The one who's free from mind, who's free from body, dropped off mind and body. Just be you. No longer noticing. What are you? And are you experienced or actualized very often in her life? And I refer to the self in the third person right now because I think she probably thinks that she is her mind or she is her body. And that's it. And I ended it there because somebody just rang the bell at my front door. <laughs> I thought that was perfectly timed. I actually thought somebody rang a bell on the computer. <laughs> I realized that was outside. Well, I loved the exercise of noticing because I think so many times we don't notice. We're rushing through life and even when we're doing the mindfulness practices or meditating, like you're right, we're, we're in our head or we're in our body. We're, we're doing the supposed thing that we think should be done in that moment. So I really enjoyed that exercise of like stepping outside and really just observing and, and looking at where we are. Um, I wondered if, would you, in the context of your career, being faced with danger, making those choices. Can you talk about fear and maybe how your relationship with fear changed or morphed throughout that time to where you are now? I will. Um, let me start with the folks who are on this call and the people that are going to listen to it afterwards. And I just want to kind of uh, bait you guys, I guess, and, and get you excited about the conversation that I'm going to share with you about my own life um, by bringing you into the conversation, by helping you notice what your relationship is with fear right now and how it's affecting how you're dealing with the coronavirus. Um, a lot of people, less so now than maybe a couple weeks ago, um, are ignoring the coronavirus or ignoring the stay-at-home order. Um, it's not for them, they say. That's usually a sign of somebody that's ignoring their fear. You know, like we all have these relationships with fear that existed before the coronavirus. And somebody who typically ignores their fear is going to ignore the coronavirus. Somebody who typically fights fear is going to be at war with themselves right now, more so. I mean, before the coronavirus, they were already at war with themselves because if you are in a war with fear, that war is being carried out in your body and your mind. It also puts you at war with the nature of life, life itself. That's going to be elevated right now. And if somebody is at war with themselves, they're also going to be at war with other people. So it explains a lot of behaviors that either you're facing or that you're seeing out there in the world. 
Other people try to control fear. And with these times of elevated fear, that's going to leave them feeling very out of control. And then they're going to then try to control other people. I'm actually seeing this in my town right now. There's this woman that is just inserting herself in every conversation on Facebook, just trying to tell people how they should be, what they should think, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. Like she's just so not able to deal with her own fear. She feels so out of control. She's just trying to control strangers, other people. So that explains that behavior in yourself or others. Um, if you try to rationalize away your fear, you're going to live in your head, not just now, but kind of all the time. Like if you find yourself being a super heady person, oftentimes that's a way to not deal with the feelings in your body, which is your fear, a way to not deal with your fear. Um, I have a whole bunch of other examples of this, but just notice however you treat fear um, not only determines how it treats you in return, but also what the relationship you have with your own self at your core and also determines your behavior in the world, behaviors that are now going to be exacerbated. The big one being if you, based on the meditation we just did, if you judge fear as being a negative or bad thing, because fear is with us all the time, you're going to be super judgmental of yourself. And you're going to, every time fear shows up, which is pretty much all the time, you're going to feel like there's something wrong with you. And you're also going to judge fear in other people. So it's really important what your relationship is with fear. And how do I know all this? Because during my ski career, back to Renee's question, I did some things right by fear and I did some things wrong by fear. Um, the things that I did wrong by fear really wound up because I was dealing with so much fear. I mean, I was like, I was risking my life on a daily basis for over a decade. Um, because I was dealing with so much fear and I was really, really good at ignoring my fear that wound up, you can get away with it for about 10 years tops. It's like having a whining child that's screaming at you and you know, you have to ignore it. I, I mean, I was just exhausted after 10 years. I was burnt out. I thought I was burnt out on the skiing, but really I was burnt out on just trying to ignore fear all the, all that time. Um, I also lost the wisdom of my fear. And so I'm really lucky to be alive because it wasn't there to keep me safe because I was blocking it out so much. Um, I became a really rigid, stoic, masculine, aggressive, arrogant person in order to block out fear. And so after about 10 years in a sport as violent as extreme skiing, I started to break. I started to have a lot of injuries. I actually see this with a lot of professional skiers, a, a ski racer in particular that just retired she says that, oh, I'm fearless. I don't have any fear. But she has panic attacks. She has anxiety disorder. She has to take sleep medication to sleep. Um, she has depression issues. And she became more injured every year. She, she had like four injuries in four years um, because she had to become so rigid in order to be fearless. And the, the other consequences were all these other emotional issues. So yes, she got to be fearless ski racer, but it really messed up her body because of the injuries and her emotional well-being and health in the rest of her life. So it's just a bad idea to do this. Um, the other thing is because I saw a lot of friends die or get injured in the mountains, I developed PTSD. And PTSD is when you go through a difficult emotional trauma, which we're all going to experience difficult emotional trauma in our lives. That is part of the deal. 
Um, you are going to come in contact with horrible experiences, horrible people, challenging experiences. And I, I went through my fair share, certainly as an extreme sports athlete, there's a lot of deaths and violent injuries. Um, in myself, I had 50 near-death experiences. I watched two friends die. I've watched 30 people get crippled for life right there in front of me. And if you don't know how to deal with the emotions, the fear and other emotions afterwards, you bury them. And then they wind up covertly running your life from within your body and showing up in a variety of ways. So that's what I did wrong by fear, I realized. And I didn't know this during the time. It was something that I put this puzzle together afterwards. And then conversely, the things that I did right by fear, which is I had a real paradox going on. Um, I bo both ignored fear to an extreme, but I also really loved feeling fear to an extreme. And I had an intimate relationship with fear. And if you see fear as a person, yes, I had a, a paradox going on where I both loved it and hated it at the same time. And anybody that's been married knows that yes, you can love and hate a person at the same time. So that's what I had going on with fear. But the part of me that had an intimate relationship with it, that loved feeling it, first of all, because I loved feeling fear, I loved taking risks. I loved stepping out of my comfort zone where fear existed. The second thing is, is once I was there too, because I was doing a dance, an intimate um, erotic dance with fear, it actually became the very thing that took me into those altered states, flow states, the zone. Um, it's, it's the thing actually, if you're intimate with it, that makes you sharp, focused, aware, present, brings you into the present moment, helps you bring your A game to what matters most, you know, which is survival at that time. And I have interviewed enough professional athletes, including Alex Hunold, who free soloed El Cap, Laird Hamilton, um, arguably the best big wave surfer in the world, like all these big, big, big name extreme sports athletes. Do they have any idea that that's what's going on with them in fear, that they have an intimate relationship with fear? No. But once I say this is what I've learned actually happens out there in the mountains that turns us into these amazing athletes, I mean, they nodded their heads so hard, I thought they were going to break their necks. Like we're having an intimate relationship with fear. And it's actually the thing that takes us into the zone and little else does. So it, just in conclusion, it's like I'm Batman and fear is Robin. And I could punch Robin in the face and that would make me feel powerful, right? But I've just rendered myself weak. Or I could have this asset, an ally called fear, along for the ride as I'm skiing some death-defying, you fall, you die, run with a 50-foot cliff jump in the middle of it. And it's here. And it doesn't feel like fear when you have an intimate relationship with it. It just feels like presence, focus, and aliveness. And actually, neurochemically, uh, excitement and fear are exactly the same thing. So the conclusion of this talk, and this, is, this will really be the only talk before I just focus back on questions, um, is that if you take the advice of pretty much every single self-help guru, psychologist, doctor, you know, er, out there that, oh, fear is an enemy and we want to conquer and overcome it and we need to rationalize it away and do breathing exercises to breathe it away and meditation apps to replace fear with calm and all these things that we do to get rid of our fear, 
it's just, it's actually really, really bad advice. And it has actually caused the anxiety and other emotional epidemics that we face in our culture today. And all we need to do is notice that with all the methods and modalities to kind of calm fear down, and mind you, anxiety is fear, specifically anxiety is fear that's trapped in your body going round and round and round. So all these things that we continue to try to do to get rid of it, see it like fear flowing like water through your body, like through a hose. And if we try to get rid of it, we try to breathe it away, we try to replace it with calm, you know, we kink the hose. And then that fear that gets stopped in your body and it starts recirculating round and round and round. And as long as we continue to ignore it, or we continue to fight it or rationalize it away or try to control it or any of these things that we do to try and get rid of it, it, you know, it seems to work like the fear goes away for a second, but we've kind of aggravated. It's like we've kicked a hornet's nest and it just comes back stronger and louder than before until eventually people give up on all these methods and modalities and just take a pill anti-anxiety medication to shut that now recirculating fear up. So the stuff that we're doing to cure anxiety is actually the cause of anxiety. And how do I know this back to that? Because if all these things worked, we'd all be having a lot less anxiety, but they're not, they're not working. Anxiety problems are only getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm worried that during COVID that, they're even gonna get worse still because at this point, nobody is willing to just sit with their fear and be with it, learn how to have an intimate, friendly relationship with it. We're all fighting it. And it's just, nobody knows how to feel their fear. Nobody has, knows how to just sit with the discomfort that comes as a natural part of life. And so it's just not gonna work right now. Um, and we're starting to see evidence of this as people are acting so crazy. So conversely, though, if we do the radical opposite of everything we've been taught to do about fear, which is we unkink the hose, we allow it to just run its course, we, we be in flow with it, we make friends with it, um, we see it as a positive instead of a negative, we allow it its rightful place in our lives. Um, we not only just learn how to accept it, but we learn how to embrace it and we learn how to be intimate with it then actually the fear goes from being the worst part of our lives to being the best part of our lives. And it requires a shift in perspective and a shift in practice. And so that's what I'm teaching. That's what I'm here to share with you all today. And I'm sure you have a lot of questions because this is probably not what you're expecting. <laughs> well, I wonder if we can unmute microphones and, and go around and share um, our emotions around fear and where we feel them in our bodies. Going back to your, your meditation, for example, one of fears um, has been doing these, you know, on-camera live Zoom experiences, and I felt that kind of as a tightness in my chest and a bit of curiosity and excitement too. So I, I recognize that, um, that part of what you were saying, Kristen, how it, it can feel kind of um, risky and thrilling at the same time. And so I, I feel that every time I, I step into the space of doing something that 
I'm uncomfortable doing. And you know more about what I teach than probably the rest of the group. So I think that naturally you would be drawn to just noticing the excitement that's found in that. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to hear also from somebody else on the call yeah. who has a judgment of their fear as being a sign of personal weakness or a character flaw um, or that something has gone wrong when it shows up. And I'd love to hear from you. Carla, I see you un unmuted. Do you want to go? Sure. Um, I'm Carla from Park City. Well, I think we're all from Park City, right? Um, anyway, thank you so much for the guided meditation. Um, today's National Stress Awareness Day. So I didn't know if you knew that. I think it's very no, interesting. Guided meditation is on Stress Awareness Day. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, for me, um, I always judged my fear before I got breast cancer in 2015. And um, that makes you sit with fear exactly what you're saying with your teachings um it can and then at first you try to control it like you said you, you try to be like okay i'm not fearful because that's bad and then now like what is it five years later fear is just a part of my emotion bucket right i don't judge it i'm like some days i'm afraid of covid some days i'm not right some days i'm afraid breast cancer is going to come back some days it's not but i think for me what the hardest thing about fear is, is just sitting with it, right? Sitting in the unknown. Like, what are you afraid of? Like, for me, I had to come to terms with, I'm afraid of my mortality, right? I mean, we're all not getting out of here alive, but um, I just had to let go of worrying about when that was going to happen, right? I'm living a great life. I'm really focused on what matters to me. Um, having breast cancer gave me permission to let go what was not important to me. And um, I'm just, I'd say I'm not less fearful at all. I think I'm just honestly more comfortable sitting with fear. And that's, um, cause I think you made a statement like people don't know how to sit with that. And I was like, oh, I want to raise my hand. I had to learn how to do that for five years. <laughs> um, so it's a pretty powerful emotion if you if you let it guide you in, in the wrong way. And I love that you're bringing up this elevated discussion that it's not a bad thing, but it's just a, it's like a window into what do I need to dig into further, right? It's almost like a gift, but I do love, I would love to learn how to get into an intimate relationship with my fear because really quick, and I don't want to take too much time, but um, this year on the mountain, I had panic attacks. I had two severe ones where I was going down a black diamond. It wasn't even a bumpy one, but it was super steep. And Mark was with me, my husband, and I had this wave come over me that I've never had. I had to sit down. Apparently I was like calling for my mom. And so I definitely know I have work to do, but I was really surprised. And I loved your thing of saying panic attacks are just fear that's stuck. So thank you for bringing awareness to that me. I feel like I've done a lot of work, but you know, you're never done, right? <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my thoughts on fear is I just, I don't shame myself for them anymore. I think fear and shame go along hand in hand in this society that's so judgmental. And I just, I never judge fear anymore, so. I'm really glad to hear that you don't judge fear anymore. And that is one of the probably many gifts that you got from having your cancer. Um, mm -hmm. I know a lot of cancer survivors that actually say 
if they live, of course, that mm -hmm. cancer is one of the best things that ever happened to them. And I don't know Absolutely. if you're, yeah. yeah My life's in technicolor, but that also means the, the good is more beautiful. The simple is more beautiful, but then also the fear got escalated. And so I really had to um, understand what was underneath that. Like why, you know, I don't know. So I'm still working on that, but yeah, it's a, it was a absolute gift for me. I wonder if Go ahead, Renee. let people weigh in with some other questions on fear and then maybe you can address Kristen, how to have that intimate relationship. Well, can I just uh, answer? I, I know that we're running out of time, but let me just um, say a few things here. Um, so, you know, as for fear practice, like fear is with us all the time and our relationship is constantly morphing and changing. And it's kind of like uh, leaves fall and you rake them up and you turn around and they've fallen again and you just keep raking them up, keep raking them up. And I want to address your panic attacks on the mountain. Oftentimes when somebody is not dealing with fear in one area of their life, it'll show up double in another area of their lives. Mm -hmm. um, case in point, mm -hmm. you know, I have a doctor client who's very famous, uh, well-known doctor in New York City. She is fearless in a man's world in New York. And then she has so much fear when she goes skiing or conversely, somebody that has no fear when they go skiing, but are, have crippling social anxiety or um, refuse to take any kind of risk whatsoever in work. And so oftentimes your fear, if it's showing up in the form of panic attacks in one area, just you want to look at the rest of your life and, okay, where am I not dealing with fear in some other area that I need to rake those leaves and I need to learn how to sit with my fear there so that it doesn't inadvertently harm my abilities as an athlete. That's great. Yeah, that's good. All right. Who else? We can keep going with this one then. Oops. Hey, I have a question. Is this Holly? Hi, Holly. This is Holly. Hi. Hi, Hi guys. Um, so during this call, I've managed to um, check out at Whole Foods, run to the post office. Now I'm home and I'm like unloading the bags. And I feel like my life is pretty overwhelmed right now with stuff. I barely have time to call my friends back. And... Um, I guess I'm asking this question for some of the like people out there who are feeling like they have less time with COVID. Um, like my kids are home all day. And so I'm, I'm dealing with them and all of that, because I feel like your message is really important. Um, and I think you're doing a great service talking about it in this, in this day and age. Um, and I guess my question is, um, I'm sorry, I'm out of breath. I've been like running groceries back and forth, but for people like me who barely have, a second during the day to even think about their lives. What exercises can you offer um, that are short during the day, like times a day you recommend for people that need to be thinking about this? And oftentimes I'm sure I have fears, but I don't think about it because I'm so busy. Um, and I know this is something I need to be thinking about. What can I do during my day? What small practice can I do? And what, at what point in the day do you recommend um, I sit and I start thinking about this and where it doesn't feel like daunting, where I have to do like a 20 or 30 minute meditation. Okay. Here's a two minute practice. And 
Um, this also will work really, really well if the person that you're uh, stuck with, for lack of a better word, during this COVID time uh, is driving you nuts, or if you're in conflict with them. Um, this is also a really good practice if you're having panic attacks when you go skiing. Like, this is something that you can do whenever you have any kind of issue in your life, whether it be emotional, psychological, mental, relationship, spiritual even, for that matter. Um, I call it, my, my book is called The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work and What to Do Instead. And my husband afterwards insisted that I create a practice based on the book um, that is short and succinct, that's super practical since having written the book. This is what I've come up with. And why don't we all do it right now? And Holly, I know you're racing around to, to bring in groceries. Um, I don't know. No, I'm done. I'm done. Okay. I'm sitting down so, now. <laughs> all right. Sit down. And I want everybody to close their eyes. And I was going to finish with this, but let's do it right now. So everybody close their eyes. I call it the four-step art of fear method. So the first step is whatever it is that you're feeling, fear or otherwise frazzled, pissed off, frustrated, any kind of discomfort, just first of all, acknowledge that it's normal and natural to feel that way. And if you have anxiety or panic, it's normal and natural to feel that way if you've been ignoring fear for the last 10 years, right? So just the first step is always some sort of intellectual understanding that, hey, discomfort is not a sign of personal weakness. It is the admission price for a meaningful life. So that's the first step. So then taking it out of our thoughts and our intellectual cognitive understanding, the second step is do that body scan that I kind of did already. We're gonna do it a little bit differently and just notice in your body, what do I feel right now? Where is it in my body and how strong is it? So right now I feel irritation at that woman who's been barking at everybody because she just targeted me yesterday. It's in my throat and in my chest. And it's even now, while I'm not thinking about it, it's still there at probably a level five. It kept me awake last night. So touch that part of your body where it is. Notice what the feeling is. And if you, if you, you don't want to get out of your body and into your head. So you may want to just uh, make a noise of what the feeling is rather than searching for a label for what the feeling is like, right? What I feel is, and it's in my wherever. And um, how strong is it? Well, for me, it's like a level five out of 10, 10 being high. That's the second step. The third step is where you identify your relationship with that feeling. Have I been making myself so busy as a way to not feel it? Um, I don't think that's what you're doing, Holly, but oftentimes people do that. Am I in my head all the time trying to figure it out? because I think that if I can figure it out, that I can control it. Have you been ignoring it? Have you been kind of throwing it at other people, you know, like a monkey throwing their shit, <laughs> hoping that they'll deal with it for you? Like, what is your relationship with that feeling? If it's anything other than just either acceptance, embracing, or intimacy, know that that's going to cause problems. 
So let me just pause for a moment here to give more clarification. Um, so the second step is about noticing your discomfort. Your third step is noticing your resistance to the discomfort. So suffering equals discomfort times resistance. So my discomfort was a level five in step two. What is your level of resistance? You know, have you been just ignoring it to a level 10? If so, five times 10, that's a whole lot of suffering. And actually, it's the resistance to what is this third step, what we discover that causes problems for us. Because whenever you're resisting discomfort, you're resisting your body, your mind, you're resisting the flow of nature, you're resisting fear, you're, you know, you, whatever you resist then persists. So the third step is just the noticing. And I'm, I'm gonna make this super fast, but I have to explain it first. This should take about two minutes. And then the fourth step is, can you just spend some quality time just feeling, for me, that irritation, that discomfort, that anger, that frustration, whatever it is, that fear, can you just spend some quality time feeling it? Emotions are meant to be felt. They're not meant to be talked about or thought about with a therapist or something. You're just supposed to feel them. This is how you deal with your emotions emotionally instead of intellectually. Just spend some time right now, one minute, feeling that feeling. Like a rider feels a horse. Can you give it a hug? Maybe it's an upset, call it a child in your life that lives in your body, that's been trying to get your attention. Maybe for a day, maybe for a year, maybe for 30 years. Give it your undivided love and attention. Can you embrace it? Can you give it a hug? Can you give it some love? It's not about turning up the dial. It's not about understanding it. It's not about trying to get rid of it anymore. It's just quality time with it and thus quality time with yourself. And you can even take it a step further and ask it questions. Why is it here? What does it have to say? That if you were to listen to it, it would allow it that freedom to speak. It would set it free and it would also set you free. And it would also set the people in your life free from it coming up covertly or redirected in other ways or towards other people. What lesson is it here to offer you? That if you listen to it, you would be very wise. Let me just tell you about a time that I use this and, uh, and then I'm gonna just succinctly repeat it again. Um, I was about to give a speech to a sold out audience. Uh, it was a big time speech and it was about fear and anxiety. I'm about to go on and it's 10 minutes before the speech and I'm pretty much having a panic attack because <laughs> I'm a facilitator. I don't give speeches. I don't do guided meditations. I facilitate people. And so here I am giving this huge speech and thank God I knew what to do, but I went behind a building 
found two minutes of private time by myself. And I did this process. First, I just identified that it's normal and natural to be afraid right now. Of course, I'm going to give a speech, right? Of course, we feel fear. I'm stuck at home or I feel frustration. I'm stuck at home with my three young children and can't do the things that I want to do that feed my soul and all that, right? So for me, of course, I'm afraid I'm about to give a speech. Second step, what was I feeling? Suffering equals discomfort times resistance. Step two is about the discomfort. I was feeling nervous, which is another name for fear. It was in my chest and it was a level 10. Step three, what was my relationship with it? I'm like, damn it, I was... Um, I didn't want to feel it was how my resistance was showing up. Also a level 10 and 10 times 10. That's a whole lot of suffering. And I left out a step in, in thir the third step where I actually spent some time just feeling my resistance and just repeating over and over again. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but that's kind of more advanced. And then the fourth step, I just spent some quality time just feeling my fear without trying to get rid of it. And the resistance went down to a level one, the discomfort went down to a level one, one times one, that's a whole lot less suffering. And I went on stage eight minutes later and gave a great speech. Now, if you notice, most people are taught to like convince themselves, I got this, you know, they're in their heads trying to rationalize fear away. Like there's no need for me to fear fear right now. They take deep breaths, breathe in calm, breathe out fear. I could have done that and I could have felt better proven by science. It takes four minutes to work. But if you kind of refine this down and you actually spend four seconds proven by science, just feeling the feeling, it lets go of you. It's like a child that finally gets your love and attention. It runs out of things to say it calms right down. So, and I did this without repressing fear or resisting it, which only pisses fear off and makes it come back next week when I give the next speech louder and stronger. So any questions about the four steps? And I can send it out as a gift in PDF form, outlining it in case you didn't write it down or you forgot. That was great, Kristen, thank you. And last thing I'll say is spending quality time with your discomfort is spending quality time with yourself. Giving that part of you that is uncomfortable a hug is loving yourself. If you can learn how to do this, I mean, we're, we're such a culture of just like praising positivity and rushing people through negativity. And um, like, it, it's just, it's, it's created a world of people who just don't know how to just be with their discomfort. They're so uncomfortable with their discomfort. They will do anything to not feel it. Drink alcohol, smoke pot, like make themselves super busy, like, and on and on and on. Can you just learn through this practice to just sit with your discomfort and make friends with it and love it. And thus you love yourself. Like, can we find a way to have a considerate relationship with our fear? So you can have consideration for yourself and then also for other people during this COVID time. That's fantastic. I've heard you speak many times on this. So I just love that you're, you're bringing it up into a way that is, um, it's easy to relate to right now. I mean, there's no one on the planet who's not feeling 
fear and anxiety at different points in the day and um, you give it great context. So thank you for sharing that. Trying to control fear is like trying to control a cat, you know, <laughs> you want to, you want to, you want to love on the cat. Well, and you're right. There's so much judgment on um, the negative feelings and thoughts that we have. And this is certainly not the time where you want people to have more shame and judgment about what they're experiencing. So I think encouraging permission to feel those feelings and to allow the feelings to be heard and felt, it may seem really simple, but I think it's really transformative. I've heard you say before that those quote unquote identified negative feelings or whatever, they're, they're valid parts of the complexity of who we are. And so if we can actually say, I hear you, I see you, I love you, you know, the reason that I'm feeling you is because of your desire to protect me or of, of bringing awareness, I think it's an amazing opportunity that we have to listen to all facets of ourselves. And the last thing I'll say is that if you shift from a pessimistic uh, view of fear to an optimistic view of fear, like there is no good or bad fear. There's only fear. And just when it doesn't behave in a way that kind of like dogs, you know, it's a bad dog that the dog doesn't behave in a way that we want it to. It's a good dog if he does behave in a way that we want it to. But the dog is just the dog. And, you know, fear, unlike dogs, they can't, it can't be trained. And if you try, they're more like cats, right? You know, you just want to let them do their thing. And you want to let fear do its thing. And you want to support it. And, um, and you want to fall in love with it because it really is one of the greatest experiences we have here helping us feel alive. You know, anybody that goes out and does something scary, they'll tell you they come home and they feel alive. And um, like, what's the difference between two people that get mugged at gunpoint, one comes home and they're like, oh my God, I got mugged at gunpoint. It's the most interesting thing that happens to them all year versus, oh my God, I got mugged at gunpoint and they never leave their house again and they have PTSD. And it's all a matter of how they view and deal with their fear. So can we learn how to have a healthy, considerate relationship with fear? And then we don't have the PTSD. We don't you know, kind of repress our fear and it becomes depressed and we become depressed and we don't fight a war with it. We don't kink the hose and we wind up with an anxiety disorder or panic or like, you know, we don't need to wait until we have cancer to learn this lesson either. Fear is with us all the time. We don't have to wait till COVID to have this experience. It's with us all the time. And your relationship with fear is actually the most important relationship of your life, even more so than your kids or your spouse, because it's the relationship that you have with yourself at your core. And if you have a healthy relationship with fear, then you're gonna be a healthy person. And you're gonna deal with these difficult times with grace. If you don't have a healthy relationship with fear, you're gonna be one of those people like I talked about, you know, just screaming at people and acting weird and hoarding toilet paper. And I like every single behavior I'm witnessing right now during COVID times, can be kind of uh, examined back down to what is this person's relationship with fear. And it just explains so much to the point where if you have any kind of issue in your life, 
your relationship with fear either has everything or something to do with it. So you want to above and beyond. I mean, I personal work, if you're going to do some personal work, start there, you know, build that foundation before you build a castle of love and joy, like have, have that foundation of having a healthy relationship with fear so that when the difficult times show up, the castle, like the storms come in, the castle doesn't just disintegrate. So that's it. And I think we're out of time. Um, are we out of time? Well, kind of. Um, does anyone have any other questions or comments that they want to share? I just wanted to say thank you. I really appreciate the information today. I love the reminder that we are not our thoughts. That's just always a great reminder. But thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Can you share how we can get a hold of you? If you want to get to know your relationship with fear better, which um, you may think it's one thing, but it might wind up being something else entirely. My website, kristenolver.com, has a free fear and anxiety assessment. Uh, it's 20 really interesting questions that give you insights. You have to give your email address to get the results, just warning. Um, but then the results provide you with some really fascinating content. Um, it, they're, they're not salesy. It's just like, oh, this is what's going on for you. And of course, always buy my book, The Art of Fear. It's a game you have it there. Can you hold it up? Oh, I do actually. I have my computer. Oh, it's under your computer. <laughs> Oop. There we go. Wait. There we go. Hold it closer. There we are. So kristenalmer.com. Thank you so much. Um, this recording I'll release as well. And if you wanted to share it around with friends that you thought would benefit from it, that would be awesome. Um, and check wildwomentribe.net for more of these Zoom in community calls. They'll happen on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Mountain Time. It's lovely to see your faces. And thank you so much for joining in and bringing your energy and holding space. Hope you guys have a great afternoon. Much love. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Are you looking at this cat? <laughs>